I know that like your mother, you think that you can forget the past. You can't. The past is a living thing. You own it. Owe it. Now I have found something about your mother's forebearers. You have a sacred, secret legacy. A birthright that's been kept from you. These mysterious words propel Atticus Turner to search for his missing father, Montrose, in HBO's sprawling, mind-bending epic, Lovecraft Country. If you love that the heroes get to go on adventures in other worlds, defy insurmountable odds, defeat the monster and save the day, then you'll love today's podcast. This is the story of a boy and his dream. But more than that, this is truly universal. Truly Universal, the podcast where we discuss all things Catholic in another universe. Hello, everyone. Uh, your host today, uh, I am Ian Imperador. You know I me, mean, it's been a long time, uh, and I shouldn't have left you without a dope beat to step to. However, I am back and I've returned with uh, with a special, some special guests here. Uh, we have uh, from the core, uh, Meg is here. Hello. Good, good. And our special guest, Kyle. I, I, I'll leave it at Kyle. I, I realize he might be tracked down if I say his full name. There you uh, go. We're, we're, all, we're all colleagues uh, at a place, at some place. Magical so we don't place. Want that. Ooh, magical some magical place. place. Yes, yeah. And uh, because of that magical place, we wanted to come together and talk about a magical kind of show, which is probably the least helpful way of describing it, uh, Lovecraft Country. And this, by the way, is being recorded a day after Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day for all of you, or or any uh, maybe singles appreciation, or yes. if you're you know in the new church calendar, feasts of Saint Cyril and Methodius. Either way, whatever, uh, whatever floats your boat. We're here to kind of tell you about the wonder of Lovecraft Country, and I wanted to take a segment from what Rents did with the Mandalorian episode. Uh, you should go back and listen to that. Uh, that's about how to be someone who can hold to a religious tradition in the time of a decaying empire. Sounds familiar. But anyway, uh, he did this thing called El- escalator pitches. So, uh, and his reasoning was, uh, Ra- Father Raj had asked, oh, well, I thought you mean, why not elevator? Well, we are in the time of COVID still. I'm going to date this episode a bit. We are in the time of COVID, so you don't want really to be caught up in an elevator. So you're going to be in an escalator, and as Rens put it, you shout to everyone else in the mall or wherever you are the wonders of this show that you want them to watch. So if you had like a 30-second pitch, and I don't think it takes 30 seconds to go up an escalator, but... I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Um, what? How, how would you describe Lovecraft Country in a way that will get people to watch it? Uh, either of you could go first, but I will time you. See, you're giving a pitch. All right. So this show incorporates a bunch of different historical references. Um, there's even references to possibly other movies that you may have seen. Um, it involves magic. It involves 
um, the ability to believe in things that aren't actually there. It involves trauma from not only a family, but an entire people um, and them dealing with that trauma. So this movie incorporates, or sorry, this show incorporates so much uh, packed into 10 episodes that you'll automatically be captured by if not if not one thing in episode one by the time you get to episode two or three you're going to be fully swept into the show and you're going to want to see what happens at the end so i think that's what that's what my elevator pitch would be or escalator pitch since you know covid we don't want to get an elevator okay okay meg have you come up with yours no how about you ian oh Oh, she played an Uno reverse card mm. on me. I I <laughs> never played Uno because of the reverse card. Reverse, reverse. I think I would say something like, have you ever loved horror so much? You love the books. You love just the genre. You love mm. all of that stuff. And you realized that you were in one. <laughs> oh, Watch HP Lovecraft Country. Sorry, I don't know why I added the HP. We don't want to go to him. We'll just watch Lovecraft Country. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of that, you know, um, Pirates of the Caribbean, the Black Pearl, where he goes, like, uh, you, you must believe in a ghost story. It's Turner. You're in one. <laughs> Turner, right? And the guy, it's the Turner family. So interesting. Hmm. You best believe in ghost stories, Mr. Turner. You're in one. So, so here we go. Like, it's, it's, and the, even the first ten, the first five minutes, I thought people were telling me, "Watch this, watch this." I'm like, "Okay." So I I turn it on, and I'm like, "What? Space princess, tentacles, war, Korean war, but is that Jackie Robinson?" <laughs> like, what, Dude. what what is happening? Dude, immediately as as soon as you turn the show on, you're like, "Where am I?" You're what instantly put into a different world, and you're just like. Sucks in, you just like blue skadood into this like interesting <laughs> universe. True, 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 true. I think, uh, so I guess just to give some context to our readers, and again, by the way, this will have spoilers, we will have loads of spoilers. I will warn you now. Oh, yeah, you, so, you I mean, we can't discuss this without spoiling a few things. This is a spoiler alert. Okay, so let's give a little context. We, we we said Korean War. We said Jim Crow. So this was set. This is set in what seems nineteen. Like, it's like around nineteen fifty five, fifty six, somewhere around there. Because, uh, well, spoiler alert already. Emmett Till does uh, the Emmett Till uh, story happens in the show. Like that is a part of the show. So um, it ha- it has to happen around nineteen fifty five, fifty six. Yeah, and it centers. Probably centers around Atticus Turner, who a uh, big fan of Lovecraft stories, sci-fi, pulp fiction kind of things. And mm-hmm. uh, he is uh, a veteran of the Korean War. Comes back to his family uh, to find that his father is gone, investigating some strange birthright that the father claims he has through his mother. And that's really, really where we begin. And he goes along. The first two episodes, he goes along to investigate where his father's um, disappearance with a childhood best friend who was also part of the sci-fi kind of club, uh, though she doesn't seem like she is, uh, and her, his uncle, uh, who is really into that, owns a bookstore, and he also does the, he also writes for The Green Book, 
Yeah, uh, travel guide. The, the travel guide. Travel guide. Yeah, Kyle, if you could give us a little background on that for those who don't know. Yeah, so the the travel guide, Green Book, um, um, it goes by different names, but essentially back in Jim Crow era of the U.S., if people, if black folks were traveling to the South, they would basically need to know where they could stop to get food, uh, where they could stop to sleep. If they needed gas in a particular place, they would need to know all these things because as we, as you do see in the show, um, you run into things called sundown towns, towns where you don't want to be after uh, sunlight goes away. So the green book was essentially just a, a guide, a safe, a safe guide for black folks as they traveled throughout the South and um, just gave them, you know, good food, places to sleep, places that they could go for shelter and safety. Uh, thank you for that. And I think what I do love and appreciate about this series is how intertwined it is with the Jim Crow. Um, just a lot of what's happened, a lot of uh, the atrocities, and even goes back to there, later on, there's an episode where they time travel. Yes, uh, I'm not stuttering, time travel back to the time of the fall of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, uh, which was also featured in another series. I, HBO ran, uh, is running Watchmen, right? Yeah, they're, they're also doing Watchmen, and I was part of Watchmen, too. Yeah, so I think it, it's good to see... Uh, and I think they reused many of the sets for that kind of thing. So I think so. I love how I guess an, an embeddedness, I think, in historical context, and then it goes off the rails. That's what yeah. I kind of really yeah. enjoy. Uh, what What do you appreciate about this series? I think what I appreciate most about the series was the fact that I didn't know what was coming next. I didn't know. I mean, there were there were some parts. Okay, maybe you can kind of predict because it still is TV, so it has a formula still. But at the same time, you didn't know where the story was going to lead. You didn't know how they were going to get to the to the end result, right? You you didn't really understand how things were going to happen until different moments happened. So you mentioned time traveling. I think if that wasn't a part of the story, there's no way we get to this ending. If that wasn't a part of it, I don't believe we get to the ending in any way because it's such an, a pivotal point of the series. It's such a pivotal point of the series. So I think for me, just the twist, the turns, the the uncertainty at some points, right? Because it almost felt like anyone at any moment could run into trouble. Anyone at any point could end up dead for whatever reason. So um, I think for me, that was my piece to the show that I really liked. I think also kind of dovetailing on that, uh, there were many times where I thought that the, the series was having trouble kind of keeping itself coherent. Uh, and I think that's part of what kept us guessing. Uh, I don't think that necessarily translated it into becoming a bad series per se, but the skipping around, the... There, there were twists that you like. Th th almost it seemed as if like it changed uh, genres midway. There's mm. whole episodes that are like, this doesn't seem at all. This is out of my frame of reference here. Uh, interesting enough, I think holds true to uh, at least when you, when you think about like, well, it, it's it, you know, it, it's an homage to H.P. Lovecraft, right? Who wrote these horror stories, and the universe is just this cruel place, and. At the heart of it, there really is no reason to the universe. I think kind of what um, 
that was kind of his themes. And I don't think that's what this series is saying. I think that some says something more and we'll go into that a little later. Yeah. Uh, Meg, what do you think? What do you really appreciate about this series? Um, well, going off of what you both were talking about, where everything kind of just like skipped around, I feel like it was so purposeful because it helps you feel what the characters are feeling. Like in their life, this is so random. None of this is expected. None of this even was realistic um, up until it happened to them. But I think I do really appreciate within this series, like some of like the simple personal ties you can see, like all this crazy mm -hmm. stuff is going on, right? There's like all this like magic and like, you know, like this weird spiritual like stuff. And like, there's all, there's all this crazy stuff going on and you're like constantly on edge. And, um, and like the whole time I was like, my traps are sore because um, I was stressed. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but also like you see like the simple ties of like what really brings them back to earth is like, they're looking back on their loyalty to their family. And like, even though they've never explicitly said it, they're always thinking about what's the most loving thing to do in this moment. And that's something that like, I think anyone can tie themselves to. It's like when you have no idea what to do or like what's going on, you think about what or who is at stake and what is the love most loving thing to do at that moment. And you see them fighting over who can be more, who can sacrifice themselves for each other, which is, like, crazy throughout the whole thing, because it's, like, you could see any other horror movies, and everyone's just extremely selfish. Mm. Um, but in this one, like, they're just, like, constantly, like, trying to, like, jump in front of each other to, like, sacrifice themselves to keep each other safe. Um, mm. And that's, like, kind of what kept them going was that tie to, like, what is the most loving thing right now for the people that are most important to me? For, for me, I think... I guess it I guess it also pairs well with how I enjoyed the embeddedness in history. Uh, what what Meg just said is is an embeddedness in human relationship. Mm -hmm. And despite the monstrosity, despite the sheer horrifying will set against our characters, we have in the face of that love. You know, you know we're trying to apply the Catholic you know faith lens, and this can be seen. Most, I wouldn't say. Well, I guess this can be seen pretty, pretty, pretty interestingly. There's, there is an episode later on once they've kind of laid out all of the stuff that's against them, all the forces they have to fight against. We're at this, I guess, a calm before the storm of the last few episodes. There is a moment that uh, this was highlighted, uh, and I first read about this and really thought about this through looking at this article off of the Patheos blog. I guess it's a collection of. Uh, religious-themed blogs. This blog is particular called Pax Culturati by Kate O'Hare. And she highlighted uh, the, the the baptism scene where Le uh, Letty, who is the, the childhood friend of uh, Tick or Atticus, she's pregnant now and, and gets Atticus to get baptized. And so they're in a church and you see, you know, a close-up of the cross. You see there's a moment of doubt, like slight doubt, like from Atticus's part, but but Letty kind of returning to that faith again. And in and and, and her faith, she said that she had wandered around a bit and I was looking for faith elsewhere, but to see that it was really in me, right? And to strengthen that faith again, to, to have baptism there, it was like the kind of calm in the center of a hurricane. Yeah. Like of all the other scenes that you see, you're just kind of like, oh, okay. I think you, you point out something very interesting. I think, I'm sure we'll get to this later, but Letty's character is rooted in faith, right? It's rooted in faith in family. It's rooted in faith in herself. 
faith in all the the spiritual and supernatural around her. She believes in all of it. She has faith in all of it. And I, that's why I think she's one of the stronger characters in the show is because behind her, she there's true feeling. There's true meaning behind what she's doing. And she believes it wholeheartedly at all times where some characters go, it seems at some points go into it halfway. She's full in all the time, 100% from episode one uh, to the end of the series, to the end of the season. Yeah. And, or, or when, when, even for that little bit of time where she wasn't, where she didn't understand what was happening, but once it was really clear to her what was happening, she just went with it. Oh yeah. She, no question, no questions asked. She just said, if this is what's going on and this is what I got to do, then this is my place. This is my position in this. So I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure whatever needs to happen happens. Mm-hmm. There's definitely mm-hmm. some points that the series, I was watching it with my friend and he was just like, you know, like she's just like so reckless. Like, why isn't she thinking? And I was like, I don't think she's reckless. I think she's just very confident. Like she's very confident in what needs to happen to like get to their collective goal. Yeah. And like, she doesn't, leave room to like doubt herself because she knows what needs to be done um and so like i've always i always appreciate those moments uh with letty uh where she just like takes initiative because everyone yeah. else is just like kind of like i don't want to use the word that mm-hmm. yeah foot in uh, foot out <laughs> Not I mean, could, could you give yeah. us an example meg that oh, you have something shoot. in mind oh, man or, or too Kyle, many yeah. um <laughs> i know there, there's, there's a lot too many the one that i think of most is is one when they're in the elevator and it's like it's flooding and she sees the 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 pages floating away mm-hmm. and she just goes after it she doesn't tell anyone else what's happening but then at this point like there's such a team already that they know what they have to do to like like they have to like keep the elevator up they're not like confused or upset with letty they're just like this is just real life and so like they're holding back the elevator no hesitation and like they get on this board with like this no hesitation this confidence because they're also very connected from this like whole traumatic experience Mm -hmm. um or even like when they're at the house and they're having the party when letty just like without hesitation goes out gets the bat and like hits all the car windows and they're just like so it feels like so they're so choreographed um but letty's so confident and then like that interconnectedness she has with her family and friends like that's connected and they just know what they need to do to get things done like he sees like the boys being hesitant and she just like goes for it Mm -hmm. i think is important um, and how quick and smart she is. Like when they're at that restaurant and she overhears the conversation that the guy has and then she exactly. just runs out. She's like, let's just get out of here. And you just see like Atticus like poetically figuring things out. But she's just like, get out. She like grabs the car and she's like, get in. And like um, the uncle's just like, oh, you shouldn't be driving. Like basically like she shouldn't be driving. And she's like, I don't care. And she's just like <laughs> getting them out of there. Um, so those yeah. moments definitely. You, I mean, I'm you, sure there's you, more, but I just think anytime Letty is running towards something, you know, you know, she means it, right? So, from in that first episode, she's full on sprint, full on sprint to to safety. She's like, No, I gotta go, and she does no hesitation, she just goes. And even in episode 10, when everything comes around. She gets up and she automatically sprint. She knows where she needs to be. She knows what she needs to do. So yeah, no, you you pointed out all the moments that she definitely has this the supreme confidence in herself, but also an intelligence of 
no, this is what I need to do. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do this. Yeah. And an intelligence undergirded by that faith, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remind, yeah, you remind me again, like in episode one, there's a moment where they're cornered in this cabin by these monsters. They were able to keep back. They needed to get flares from the car, mm-hmm. but the car was a ways away. She had to run off to get the car because the, un- the uncle had been like injured. Uh, and so she's running in the dark. You know, she can't quite see properly and and you know isn't that very much a symbol of like what we have to do oftentimes mm-hmm. uh where we you know when we are led by our faith like you you might not know which way you're going but you run and uh you hold on to what light you can see you know she gets there it, it was it was nerve-wracking like that that first episode just was was nerve-wracking and of course you know the the cops who have been changed into other monsters of course that had to happen oh but yeah. in, anyway. and of course it's like all the classic oh. things and like with letty it's like it's not like she's free from any fear or emotion like while she's running she's freaking sobbing and oh, like she's geez. like shaking and screaming she's freaking out but she's still doing the damn thing and like how many times in our lives have we been there where we're like we kind of use it as an excuse like oh i'm sobbing and i'm like falling apart so i just like get so like you know like i just shut down and it's like when you have that faith you it, it doesn't mean you're freed from any like emotions or fear it just means that you have like the strength to keep going mm-hmm. um even when you're like sobbing and torn apart and like that scene like i started tearing up because i was just like He's crazy. She's such a good actress. Journey Smollett. Journey Smollett is amazing. She's amazing. I I think kind of, well, jumping off of that, and I guess if we can kind of use, you know, I guess the lens of baptism, the lens of, you know, for us Catholics, the idea of baptism being a place where you learn your, you learn that you are now a son or daughter of God, right? Lovecraft Country plays around with this idea of heritage, this idea of what do I have an inheritance to? And, And already... From the beginning, you, there's a mystery as to who Tick's heritage is, because that's kind of the premise of why he's to go after his dad. He finds himself in this huge manor, almost like a castle out in, um, I, f- I forget the name of the county. They uh, I mean, Artem. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think to, to see that he was a direct descendant of the, I wouldn't quite call it the big bad. But I guess I guess big uh, bad, right? You, yeah, you call. Yeah, I mean, you call him that because he that guy only really appears at the very end. Remember, remember they, they he, summon him. He, he yeah, he only appears at the end, but he's brought up so much throughout the throughout the series that you're like, I kind of already know this guy. <laughs> I already know yeah. what he's. Yeah, I already yeah, know what yeah. he's capable. I already know what he's capable of, or what he's already tried to do at so many points. So so to see that he his heritage, which was hidden to him, is now made known to him. Um, and you brought up earlier, or we were talking before the recording, the idea of family, right? Mm-hmm. So let's set the stage here. Uh, Tick is, um, I believe, the descendant of is it Titus Braithwaite? Yeah, Tight, yes. Who kind of like founded this cult that is trying to use magic to take over the world um, or to to guarantee you know white supremacy? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that that this heritage of magic due to this man like sleeping with one of his slaves ends up going down and, and it's and now it's Tick's kind of um birthright is the ability to also use this power. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think I can also tie in we were talking earlier about uh magic used as a literary device or used in this particular series, I think 
it kind of symbolizes agency, right? And so, in the you know most of the series, who has the agency? Yeah. Uh, this cult made up of white people, and then later on, towards the end, you start to see it that that agency is being shifted, taken. Yes. It's be or it's being re- repurposed. Um, sorry, I, I'm I'm talking a lot. W- w- any comments? <laughs> any? Uh... Well, um, where do, I don't know. Where do we want to start? Heritage or family? Um, and and both are really intertwined, right? So, True. gosh, this is I mean, we can work. We can start with the uh, the heritage of it all. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right? Let's go. So, uh, I, I guess the the heritage that comes into play here is brought up in, I think, two ways, right? So we have the heritage of Tick's family, which is essentially his mother's side, right? So his mother's side is who's passing down this this magic to Tick. And so his heritage, he has no clue about. And from the beginning, like you said, his his whole process of going after everything is to find out that heritage because his father get, gives him a, a letter. Is it a letter? Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. a letter. Yeah, so his father gives him a letter kind of already telling him essentially, hey, your your mom has all this other stuff going on that you don't even know about. So Tick's whole mission is to figure out what is that heritage? What am I missing from my life that I didn't know I I wanted? What am I missing that my dad isn't telling me about? Because it seems that Montrose has all this knowledge, right? And he knows a whole a whole lot of the heritage that that Tick is unaware of. But we get that side and then we get the other side through Christine or Christina? Christine? Christine? I think it's Chris. I think it's Christine. I always want to call her Christina because of that one HGTV show. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. but Christine, we see her heritage in the on the side of the Braithwaite side, um, and how she truly knows everything. She knows all of it. She knows the magic. She knows who who Titus is. She knows her father, grandfather. She knows all of it. Yet she cannot participate in it. She's not allowed to participate in it. And all she wanted was to be a part of that heritage, to show that she's strong enough to to hold on to that status symbol that all the the men in her family have. So I think heritage plays on on both of those sides in that way. What are your thoughts on this make Mm -hmm. i agree i think you see this parallel between like tick and christine in that way where like christine is like fighting to like be acknowledged in a family and like ticks just like fighting to keep his family together where it's like he has that like he he's fighting for his family and christine's kind of fighting like against her family um so you see that opposition um in their reasons behind what why they do what they do Mm -hmm. um there's some parts, though, with, like, Christine, where it's, like, I super felt that, you know, just, like, being a female, it's, like, I'm in theology school, it's, like, look, speaking not about, like, the magic world, but, th- but speaking of, like, the church world, uh, where it's, like, yeah, we have a lot of progress, but feeling, like, any theology class I walk into, I have to, like, work ten times harder to show that I, I know anything when it comes to theology, because I'm, I'm not a priest, I'm not a seminarian, um, like, and on top of that, I'm just, a, I'm a lay person, I'm not a sister, um, and so, like, feeling that weird, like, I know all this stuff, but still feeling like I have to fight to be where I'm at, and it's, it's different, right, it's, like, very, very different, but 
those were like kind of the ties that I saw um, when it came to Christine. And what's interesting is you don't necessarily hate Christine per se. I I still don't hate for- I still yeah. don't hate Christine even yeah. at the end. I did I don't hate her because I mm-hmm. understand what she was trying to do, and I understand the why behind it. So. I guess it's you know it's tragic in the sense of this is this just has to happen like in the old sense of the word tragedy right these things are unfolding because of past decisions uh, innumerable past decisions that we can possibly have all foreseen and so that kind of aligns the trajectory of these people and these people yeah. are going head to head and everyone's full aware of that tragedy which which mm-hmm. makes it even more heartbreaking at some points because everyone is fully aware of the tra- of all the tragedies that are happening of everything they're fully aware of everything that is happening yet they know they can't stop it they can't do anything about it i think what breaks what breaks that so it's, it's, it becomes the cycle of tragedy right mm-hmm. mirrored in the the jim crow happenings the fact that um god what is hippolyta's daughter's name d uh, diane d d yeah yeah the, her friend is emmett till right and, yeah. and when, when when that when that happens like, oh wow that's that's her friend Oh wow! And so, and you uh, see them in all the previous episodes. Yeah, like, yeah. you see them. You didn't even piece but... together. They just said like a name in passing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah you, you and just, you just see them. Yeah. What breaks kind of like right, that cycle of, of the tragedy of the hatred is, uh, well, uh, not, not 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 to spoil too much, but the sacrificial love partly, but the way that to to undo that spell. So. There's so many things, and I I, I, I think it's combobulated. We just, I think at right? this point we just ha- kind of have to, you know, we explain on the way. I have to explain on the go. Yeah, right. So, so Christine uh, is arranging this particular ritual to drain the power from Tick, so as to enable her to have all the power. Yeah. Right? yeah to, so to, to enter into Eden herself. Exactly, because technically Tick is the he's Tick's the gateway. A, Tick's yeah. the gateway. He's the last male that is able to hold that Braithwaite power. He's the mm-hmm. last male to hold it. So Christine knows that, okay, I need his power in order to unlock all the power that I can possess. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. her her spell is basically, okay, I have to do this. It's not necessarily something I want to do because she even says it. She even says it in, uh, was it episode... Early in episode 10, she even says, I hope this spell works, because if not, I've killed the last person of my family. Yeah. I've killed the yeah. last person in my family if, if the spell doesn't work. So she's like, it has to work. Otherwise, it was for nothing. It's interesting, because she knows the sacrifice of having to kill one's own family. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the scary part. That's where, if you could see that there's any evil coming in, that's... Of course, where the, where the evil is, it's like, this is very important to me, and I'm willing to give up this to, to kill in order to get something else for myself. And it's like Thanos with a soul stone. Yeah, yeah. That, that, uh, <laughs> what did it cost? Just, Literally everything. <laughs> everything. And, uh, so, side note, when little Gamora says, like, you know, what did it cost? I, I, mean, I thought she said, was it worth it? And then I start, then Missy Elliott started playing in my head. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the, the true ones know. You you will understand when you hear this. Uh, and and so there's a counterspell formed by Tick's side, 
through his through the matrilineal side, right, from his mm-hmm. first ancestor with uh, Titus all the way down to him, and it requires a contact, some strong connection, a physical contact between Christine and Atticus at the same time, and it's interesting that, um, and for me that kind of plays with, um, if you look at the kind of the logic of of Christ's redemption. God didn't do redemption by saying, I'm just going to snap my fingers and it's all gone. He came into contact with the evil itself and in doing so got, you know, disrupted it. Right. So there had to be a contact though. And who does this in, in this particular story, this might come out of nowhere for you viewers. If you've never watched this, Jamie Chung, everybody, Jamie Chung's back. Uh, I don't know what else she's been acting in lately. I I haven't really Uh, kept track of her, but she appeared in the first episode as a space princess, and I was like, what is happening? (laughs) Just so random. She was an evil Korean spirit. So So random. So now, so so Meg, could you give us a little background on what character Jamie plays? Uh, But because it's it's her intervention that proves pivotal in having that sacrificial power and love from Tick Mm. coming into contact with the evil that was in Christine and thus disrupting the whole process. So um, Jamie Chung's character, Gia, is um, Korean. So she's in Korea. And you find out that she was abused um, when she was a child by her... Was it her stepfather? Was I it? think so, yeah. It was her stepfather, stepfather, not her, even her real father. Um, and so because of that, a evil spirit entered her her body, uh, which is a kumiho. Uh, in like, I guess like in Western terms would be a succubus, but kumiho sounds better. <laughs> or or if, and, if for those of you who are familiar with Naruto, a nine-tailed fox. Nine-tailed fox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and but, so... Um, so what, um, happens is that her mom, her biological mom, um, wants her to, like, come back to being human, but she finds out through the Kumiho that she, the only way she could become human again is if she sacrifices, like, and, like, sucks up the souls of a hundred men, and, like, the only way that she can do that is by, like, having sex with them, and then her, like, nine tails, like, come okay, out you of don't, her you don't and, have to ex- like, okay, suck okay, the okay, life out okay, of her. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but anyways... And HBO, so in doing it's so, <laughs> it's HBO, y'all. Um, so in doing so, she like retrieves and like all of their memories from their past and even their future. Uh, and so at first you're just like, I don't know what this got to do with everything. And then she meets Tick. Um, and so initially, like she was like, I want to make Tick my 100th soul. Um but then she ends up falling in love with him because he is such a sweet person. It's just like the war that kind of stripped that from him. Um, she's upset with him because he was part of the reason her best friend died. So they fall in love and she like is able to control the tails so she doesn't kill him. Um, but then one day she like can't and so she sees his future and she sees him dying. Um, and so like obviously he's freaked out. I mean, who wouldn't be? no matter how in love you are with someone. So he goes back to America and she like, tries to get him not to um, because she saw what happens and she saw that he dies if he goes back. Um, and so, well, not really sees. Like, she says she doesn't see things. She just gets the feeling. Hmm. Um, and so, but for us, the viewer, we see, like, scenes flashing before our eyes. Um, and so right before, you know, like, the season finale where the sacrifice happens, she comes back uh, and she, you know, like, she tries to warn him of what's happening and tries to help. Um, and he kind of like denies her that. Um, 
And then they finally talk and he says, like, you know, like, you're part of my family. Um, and so bringing it back to that, like, theme of family where there's, like, the family that's blood, there's the family by convenience, and then there's, like, the family that's chosen. And so she is, like, part of that. Um, and then in the finale, and I'm still, like, not fully sure, I guess, like, she talked to a shaman, and they said that she had to come into contact or be, like, taken in, like, she had to take in the evil. Um, and so when they get to the final episode, the evil is, like, leaving, they're leaving Tick's body. It, it's the, it, it, I believe, I think well, it's the I, magic, I, right? I, I think it was, yeah, yes. well, well. The the only way the counter spell would work is if because the the counter spell also uses tick as the conduit, but the conduit has to be in contact with Christina who is standing far away. Mm-hmm. So Jamie Chung's character her, she uses her tails and connects them both physically, and then that allows the counter spell to work and lock up magic. Um, and the result, by the way, is uh, anyone who was able to use the magic before from that kind of that white supremacist cult. It's all gone from them, and it's and magic has been given to the black community. Essentially, uh, agency has been, I guess, given back. Yeah. Uh, so they they robbed the white supremacists of the of the agency. Uh, what's interesting also with the 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 nine tailed demon fox is that I think what happened was the mother uh, James Chung's mother in in the series she took the child to the the shaman and she wanted a revenge on the on the stepfather the revenge required her to sacrifice her daughter's soul so the demon could take gia and then to return back to human would, would requires a hundred souls as a sacrifice um and then i'm getting again i'm getting parts of the caribbean vibes it's like one 99 souls <laughs> 100 <laughs> hundred souls 99 souls to go to go <laughs> so it's interesting because she was this weapon of vengeance, and now having again coming in contact with Atticus, I guess there, there's a lot of people in here who are who are a Christ figure. I think Letty and Atticus together, uh, Atticus after being in contact with Gia, Gia doing that role of kind of mediating between these two things, it, it, it's transforming, mm-hmm. right? The magic is being transformed from this thing that was used to dominate to a thing that promotes connection, to a thing that sets things right, to a thing that works towards a greater justice. The lineage, I think, then, you know, this heritage that he just kind of, okay, we have Christina, who on one side is like, I've known of this lineage in my entire life, and she's grasping to try to to really inherit it, whereas mm-hmm. he, he's already, he already has it, he just doesn't know he has it, and now he kind of lives up to the best parts of his lineage. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, he, he, I guess in a, he becomes worthy of, of the use of magic, and that worthiness kind of spreads magic. It, it kind of strips magic away from those who are unworthy of the power to affect things, and that power is given now to those who are worthy to. Um, it, it's so complex, friends. This is... Uh, I'm going to have to rewatch this again and the parts of the Caribbean trilogy, which, by the way, if anyone else from the Urban Picks crew is is listening, we need to do that intellectual property, please. We absolutely (laughs) need to do that. Absolutely need to do that. I did not really care for Pirates of the Caribbean until I started talking to you guys about it. (laughs) 
I'm like, wow, you're right. It's amazing. How would I forget? <laughs> the stories, man. The stories are so great. Thanks for the sarcasm, Meg. Love it. Love it. Uh, I think earlier, uh, before before we started recording, all these things happen before we start recording. So I just have to remember to record earlier and just let Ethan – it would be like, Ethan, just here's a blob of stuff. Make something out of it. <laughs> but uh, you brought a great, up a great thing, Meg, about the, the character development of Gia. You, you hinted at it a little bit, but you said you said more – say more a little bit about how – she doesn't identify with her trauma so much, or some, something like that. It, uh, please, please, please. You said it much well, better we're, than I we're, did. So. We were just talking about, like, the theme of identity in it all, and when I was thinking about Gia, like, the, the heartbreaking and also the most healing part about her character development in terms of her identity is that she was just this victim for so long. She mm-hmm. was this victim, and but at the same time, it's like her mom was blaming her for her victimhood um, and kind of not looking her at her as human anymore um, because of what happened with the shaman, because of the fact that she has this evil spirit with in her and so like she spends a majority of her life just looking at herself as this evil thing that's not human that isn't allowed joy that isn't allowed happiness um until she until she meets tick um and then she realizes wait no i'm still very much like i'm not a victim my identity is not in my trauma i'm still capable of loving people of laughing of smiling you see her leaping up out of that um, idea of herself as being less than human because she's a victim and turning into a hero like in the end um d- turning into this very pivotal part um of this the success of of tick and his family um so you see that a lot culturally like a lot of people who are victims and they f- feel themselves less than human and a lot of people even the ones that um that are like their primary care- caregivers you know like give them that less than human um identity as well um and so that really takes a toll on them and until they until they find that true love and like re-identify themselves as being worthy um of goodness so i found it interesting that her mother did did tell her like you're you're incapable of love right now you're not capable of loving anyone but i i even b- believe before she met tick before she oh, even, the best friend too yeah she, i believe she felt love even with her best friend and when her best friend was shot and killed by tick that love for her friend was like oh my gosh i you've taken away somebody so important to me. I don't know what to do now, but I know I hate you and I'm going to kill you. But then even as you said, Meg, that even turns on its head because she falls in love with Tick and she cares about him. So yeah, her, her development as a character is, is one I think that was, uh, was kind of needed in the show. It was definitely Mm -hmm. needed. Mm hmm. We see, I think, the variety of characters that it brings in this series, and how contact with love, right, allows them to to flourish, right. Even when we talk about the old philosophical concept of flourishing, like it pushes them out of who they are. It, uh, we realize, you know, they're not just one thing, and they don't just stay that way. And so, I want to pivot uh, to another character who had a whole episode of her own character development called. Uh, this is Hippolyta, um, the aunt Love of Atticus. Uh, could, could someone kind of sum- summarize a little bit about uh, the episode with Hippolyta? Yeah. So the episode starts out with Hippolyta discovering, um, what is it called? I forget, the 
the the planetarium thing. No oh called. yeah, they had a special weird word yeah, for it. I well, can't remember. What they it had was. a special but word for it. Yeah, it's a little model of a, a mechanical model of a solar system. system. Yeah, so it's a model of a solar system, and she is tinkering with it because she knows it's important to figuring out the uh, death of her husband George, which is Tick's uncle. So she's like, "This thing is important. I need to figure it out." And she figures it out, and what she finds is a key. She finds a key that unlocks this kind of like telescope machine type thing. Um, and oh, she got a golden Ori. Golden Ori. The, the, is that Ori. the solar system thing? Yeah. Ori. Okay. The Ori? Yeah, it's Ori. It yeah. is called an Ori. So she finds the key from that, and she goes to this uh, this machine that was built built by the Braithwaite family, and she turns it on, she unlocks everything, and she ultimately figures out this concept of magic and alternate universes and everything like that. So she's figured that out, and what ends up happening is a police officer discovers that the machine was on, they find her, Tick shows up, Tick then throws one of the officers into another dimension. Mm-hmm. <laughs> throws one of the officers into another dimension. Mm-hmm. And um, Hippolyta shoots another officer. And as her, as Hippolyta and Tick are getting ready to leave, Hippolyta then gets suck, sucked into another dimension as well, where she is kind of like in this prison cell thing, but it's not really a prison. Futuristic. She yes. like ends up on like the moon and it's yeah. like all white. Yeah, in like this all white room, random. Um, but in that in that moment, she kind of discovers she can be anything she wants to be because the the being that is there with her tells her you are what you want to be. What do you What do you want to be? And so she actually becomes Hippolyta, uh, where she goes on to Paris and dances with. Um, oh man, what is her name? Some famous dancer. She dances with some famous dancer in Paris. Yeah, it's like the, in the in the twenties. Yeah, in the oh in the twenties. It's such a so famous name. How do I? She just, she just uh, so yeah. She's inserted into a variety of places. Yeah, she, she goes there. She goes. Uh, so so I mean, like basically, yeah. she she kind of uh, goes to all these different dimensions, and ultimately, Josephine the, it, Baker. Yeah, Josephine Baker. So that's the dancer from Paris. So. She goes to all these different dimensions and different worlds. She can go to the future. But ultimately, as she's finding herself, she understands that what's more important to her is being a mother to Diane. And she's gathered all this information from going to Earth 504 and all these other places so that she can she can better she can better herself and be there for Diane in her moments of need. So I think this episode shows Hippolyta in a different light than we've seen her. It shows her as someone that takes charge of her own life. All we've ever seen up to this point is Hippolyta staying back at home, taking care of Diane, being a a good wife in the 1950s sense, right? And just being the, the ultimate housewife and the second role to the husband. But in this episode... We see her take charge of her life. We see her take full command of her life and go to different places she never thought she would imagine. I, th- I think also to, to kind of press on that issue is one of the things she goes to is she warps back to a time when George was alive. 
And really stirring conversation where she was up, she kind of conveyed how upset she was, how he would kind of leave her out of things, you know. And this is a temptation we all have when we deal with people, even the people closest to us, is we collapse them down to one thing. And oftentimes that thing is in relative to who we are. Mm. Mm. Right? But that, that they are their own person. They are this constellation of a variety of things and powers and capabilities and personality traits. And they are a galaxy unto themselves. And, and, and in a sense, you see a change in his look. You know, and, and and George kind of beholds her in a new light, almost as a you know, not merely in relation to him, but as she is, right? And then what's interesting is that here's the thing: she could have kept going, she could have done whatever, right? But oh, what pulls yeah. her back, what grounds her, is she has to go back and help with D, right? The potential is great, yes, but we can't stay in infinite potential. Uh, she, I, I have to choose something. Yeah, she um, I, she ultimately knew what her purpose was in her in her own life. She knew her purpose was to be the best mother she could be for Diane, even though she mm-hmm. had the choice. And mm-hmm. the the being gave her the choice of you can stay here and be whatever you want, which is to everyone is enticing, right? If someone told me you can be whatever you want, you can do whatever you want. I'd be like, yeah, of course, I want that. That's, uh, could you imagine the power? That's crazy. Of course, I want that. But for Hippolyta, that even though that power is was so great, that power was so enticing to her, she knew that ultimately, Diane is what was the most important thing to her. If she didn't have Diane, her life probably wouldn't even have meaning. Still, she could be whoever she wanted, but it still wouldn't have meaning. And that's something that's really important when we look at this idea of identity. It's like whether you're Christian or even looking at secular culture, like you have these parts of your identity that are embedded in you, but it's not until you choose it willfully and intentionally that it becomes your your true identity, full-blown identity. Um, and I think what was interesting with her is like so much of like secular media would be like, yeah, the choice is to just keep finding yourself, keep exploring, just leave behind this oppressive idea of being a mother but for her it's like she changed it from being like i'm a mother for the sake of these other people to i'm a mother because you know like i chose this i am this and like Mm -hmm. there's a power to it at the end of her journey you know like at first it was like kind of a helpless like i fell into this place and it became this like chosen power that she has with herself like like d is my daughter i am her mother like that is that is me that is my life i am which is like the name of the episode and, and the, this discussion reminds me a little bit of, um, I guess, Pope John Paul II's kind of look at the idea of freedom, the idea that freedom is not license. Freedom is not do, being able to do anything however I want it to do, whenever I want it to. Freedom is at the service of something else. And and when she was offered this full freedom, this full power, right, we all have heard that quote, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, if that is like the goal, if that's the end goal, then yes. But the power is not for oneself. The power is not merely to, I can be whatever I feel like. The power is, it, it, it intertwines with something that's a given in her life. And she embraces it now mm-hmm. intentionally, willingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also, too, that's also something that we are called as people of faith is there are so many crosses our way. There are so many things sent in our way, so many given things that 
we, we seem to be under this illusion from secular culture, like keep exploring, keep doing this thing, keep every door open, keep all, keep pure potentiality. But if you have no, if you don't set your own borders down, if you don't set your own limitations, uh, it's like, um, what's it? Like a river with no banks is a puddle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. it has no power. You end up just going yeah. everywhere. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't have that reason that kind of grounds you, which I think Diane was for Hippolyta. It was her reason for staying grounded, for staying in a certain place, because again, she knew I could be anything. I can do anything because she's experienced it. She was that. But at the end of the day, her identity was with Diane. Her identity was being a mother and being the best mother she could be to mm. whatever extent mm. that is. And now she made uh, D a uh, uh, robot arm, and now D is a cyborg. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Can we just uh, talk about D's storyline? Like, yeah. goodness gracious. Yeah. Oh, it's like yeah. not till the end that you figure out, damn, this girl's hurt. Like, she's been through a yeah. lot. No, go go and, ahead. Go go in, Meg. Go ahead. Let's go. Like, it's like. Because Dee's kind of just like the the kid, like the kid in the series, right? She's just kind of there, like she brings like some laughter, some joy, some innocence. Um, she makes those comic books, mm-hmm. but then she's the one that's best friends with with Emmett Till and loses him, and she's the one that um, gets left behind because Hippolyta gets sucked into the dimension Earth five hundred five or whatever, and she's the one that gets cursed by um, that police officer and another therefore hallucinates the and, see, yeah. and another member mm-hmm. of the cult um and and sees like those like two demon twins oh my god this which, the worst yeah. episode. Wait, what was that Ex- which, someone explain that so I, I i i think i'm not sure what they are but i believe full-heartedly and shout out to uh J.J. Abrams, Jordan Pill, all the all the producers of the show, because they incorporated so much into the show that would go by the wayside. But anyway, I believe they are characters of black folks from the Jim Crow. They're the they're like the the children that um, skip out on school all day. They're dancing around. They're they're there to be menacing. They're these devil like creatures that. You know, you can't have around your other children because they'll corrupt them. I think that's the role they play. And so D D comes into contact with them. So the book, the Tom's Cabin book or whatever she sees in the bathroom, is that a real book? Is Uncle, that- Tom's, Uncle Cabin? Tom's Cabin? Yeah, Uncle yeah. Tom's Cabin is a real book. Uncle Tom's Cabin is a very real book. Um, yeah, if you haven't read it, you should. Definitely should read it. I'm not going to spoil that. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I, I have heard of the insult of calling someone an Uncle Tom, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of comes from that. Yeah, yeah. It, it does. It does come from that book. So she meets those things, right? And she's trying to run away from them. Meg, is that what is that what's happening? Yeah. So she's she's trying to run away from them. Like she's the only one who can see them, but they're still like affecting her. And so she decides to just like come at them full on instead of running away from them. Uh, and then Monrose, Montrose, is it Montrose? Yeah, Montrose. Montrose. Montrose comes in and sees her like throwing around a bat and is like holding her down and then you see that these beings are like physically like scratching at her arm um and she slowly like I, I guess she's possessed and she yeah. you so you slowly you slowly see like her like features her, like, her features yeah. changing into what um they look like and that's the first moment where Tick and Letty both use a spell collectively I think that's the first time that they like team up together to use a spell is to try to save her. And so they go into that, that realm where they meet um, Tick's ancestors, right? Mm-hmm. And they actually see Tick's mom. 
uh, and they learned how to, to help D. What an incredible story. For someone that doesn't have a lot of, who didn't get a lot of uh, camera time in the in, in the series, I think that episode plays another pivotal role in the change of Tick, Letty, um, I mean, Hippolyta, even Montrose to some extent. It, it all acts in a way of changing them for the better somehow. Uh, yeah, as a child, right? She's like a symbol of the future, right? Mm-hmm. She's going to be the future. They have to – and they, I think they even brought Christine in to help, right? Because only they she did. really knew how to say the words. Yeah, no, they, they did. They did. So it's, it's very interesting, yeah. Yeah. After hearing what you said, Kyle, do you feel like maybe that was their way of showing like her like on the verge of internalizing this like image that the people who killed her best friend like had of like her and other young black kids? Like I feel like maybe like oh. it was like them saving her from internalizing that. Um, so then she becomes D with a bionic arm. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely think so. And um, the scene where the the cop that is a part of the cult, the scene where he curses D, I think even mirrors how in a way her friend Emmett Till was treated, right? Her friend Bobo was treated. The cops knew the cops already knew who she was, right? They said, Are you Diane uh Freeman? They already knew who she was. Uh but it just goes to show like them playing on the because they can, they're they're playing with her, right? They already know she's gonna come back to them to try to try to stop this because she has to. Otherwise She's going to keep being attacked by these two figures. So she knows she has to go find whoever did this. But anyway, the parallel between her and Emmett Till is is so similar because she was attacked basically for no reason. Right? Same thing as Emmett Till. They were attacked for no reason. She was cursed for no reason. Emmett Till was killed for no reason. So it's, I mean, she kind of felt in a way she felt the same pain that her friend felt in that same episode and 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 wonderfully so that the uh that cycle which which could have possessed her which could have fully taken her over was broken there are still scars there's still pain her arm doesn't work that well anymore and so she's given a new arm and that's why i said that she becomes a cyborg right um which i think will be a very interesting part of the the sequel if there's to be a sequel well i mean <laughs> oh yeah that 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 storyline too is man so much. didn't they also raise the monsters that cornered them in that cabin tick was able to summon one that followed his orders crazy and then he got it to follow diana so it's just like it's just diana bionic arm and this giant being with like monster thing with her like that that's it became her pet Became her pet. Yeah. Do, do whatever you just do whatever I need you to do. Essentially, is what what the monster was. Hey, you, if something's attacking me, you go attack that thing as well. So, mm-hmm. hey, mm-hmm. that crazy, crazy everything. I think tra- transformative. Yeah, transformation really is a huge theme here, and that transformation. Whether for the good, there, 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 there's there's like the transformation for a purpose, for mm-hmm. goodness, and that's to protect family. Yeah. Uh, there's there were also some selfish transformations. I'm thinking of like with um, Letty's sister. So another character that we see. Um, well, and what was Letty's sister's name? She, uh, she, her sister's name is Ruby. Yeah. Letty's so sister's she, name is Ruby. So she, she, she wanting to be working at the department store and she was rejected and then well she meets um William this man <laughs> the, who is isn't who who he seems to be who gives her the power to transform 
and, and so we we've been talking about transformations and character and stuff that have <laughs> have been had the purpose of rooted in family. This was a transformation that she she wanted to experience life in another way, um, more maybe rooted in identity. I, 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 yeah, Is I don't want to call it a selfish thing per se. I don't not. want to call it that because I don't think that's what it was. Not. But it was it, it was her. She she was able to transform into a white woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, and that was well. Please go on. Some, yeah, go yeah, ahead. yeah. No, was, I, I'm, what an interesting thing. <laughs> I'm the the part that got me the most about Ruby turning into a white woman was when she said when I, I forget if she was talking to Christine or uh, Letty, but she said, "I have this power. I basically have the power to go into any space that I want to. I have the power to to be anywhere." And not be questioned because of the color of my skin. Because I can turn into a white woman. That means I can get this job that I've always wanted. Or I can get ice cream for free just because I look pretty. Or I can uh, feel safe walking home because I know the cops aren't going to attack me on the way home. They're just I can just walk freely and be whoever I am. Go into any neighborhood. So that freedom, that that ability to be in any space was something Ruby had never experienced. And I think this goes back to earlier what we were talking about, like this power dynamic, right? This power of who wields the agency. She wielded agency in those moments because she was able to navigate all these different spaces while she was a white woman. Now, obviously at the end, that changes. Wow. Yeah, at the end that changes. But <laughs> but but even still, it was a moment that she I believe she didn't even think she was capable of having until she came into contact with William, who yeah, who isn't who isn't actually William. Yeah, there's a lot. When you when you watch it, friends, those of you who are listening to us, when you watch it you That just, episode I was like I had to take a break after that. I, I watched that end of a certain episode and I was like, Oh, okay, I'm gonna go read a book. Or something. I gotta, this I gotta is not a, a show you binge watch. <laughs> um, it's not if you if you can watch all ten episodes without stopping, I more power to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are this is this the show is one you cannot just watch straight through, I don't believe. I watched the last three episodes all in one day. Oof. Oh. The rest of the night, I was just like, wide awake. Can't. What's real? I I think, uh, well, the the rough part is, uh, you know, Christine takes advantage of Ruby's kind of covetousness of wanting Mm -hmm. to continue using this power. Mm -hmm. And actually, that throws the biggest wrench in the plan of our heroes. Because then, who you thought was Ruby... Is not Ruby. Oh, sorry, guys. We are spoiling everything. That part yeah. was so heartbreaking. Yeah. But, it does, but at the same time, it's like, do, do you ever really know how William feels about Ruby? Like, I don't know. Because some moments where it's like, wow, definitely cares about Ruby, and then other times it's like, is it is Ruby just a pawn? Which Ruby knows and is aware oh, that that's a possibility. Yeah. No, no, no. She definitely, she definitely aware of that. I think the the rough part is uh, Will Christine is. I think that the heart of it is she knows and feels deeply all of these connections mm. and she is willing to burn them up for the sake of her purposes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. She, her is like Thanos. Her, her, or, you know, like relationships are, are things to, to use versus to, to have and hold and cherish. Exactly. No, she, yeah. Christine has a, has a goal 
And her goal has never wavered from episode one through episode 10. Her goal has never wavered. She she knows what she wants and what she has to do to get it. So Ruby being a part of Christine's life, I feel like almost just happened, maybe not by chance, but mm. it happened in a way that I don't even think Christine understood. But in the very end, it was like, oh, I, I, she may have had feelings for her, but at the same time, Christine had a job to do, and no one was going to stop her from doing that job. But it was interesting what she said in that tower with Letty as Ruby, mm, when she was uh-huh. just like, I never really knew what family felt like, or something like that until today. Or like, oh, that's what family feels like. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like... She said, what? You know, it's interesting because it's, it's almost very like, and I don't want to go too off the rails on this, but, you know, you've heard of the Antichrist, right? The person that's like Christ, but the opposite. So Christ who takes on human nature and understands human nature and redeems it. Christine, throughout the series, is taking on the nature of humans, in a sense, right? She's She has this powerful character, knows the magic, and she purposefully will put herself in situations where she will understand the bonds. But instead of understanding them to kind of love them, she comes to understand it so as to draw power from it for something else. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in effect, breaking those bonds. So, for example, the relationship with Ruby. And when she hires those guys to beat her up li- and to kill her like Emmett Till, right? Or, or in, uh, in a similar manner. In, yeah, because yeah, Ruby a, says like, you never know, you'll never know what that feels like or anything, so she yeah. does it so that she can know what it feels like. Yeah, and yeah. and despite that, it doesn't produce, she, 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 this is where she embraces empathy, but the empathy doesn't lead to understanding and peace and joy and love. It, under, it, it, it furthers her power and her purpose for something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that now that I kind of say it out loud is chilling. Like, the, like what's the real villain? Like the villain that I can't possibly relate to? No, the true villain that scares the crap out of me is someone who completely understands where I'm coming from, and hates me still. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. and he hates me for knowing exactly what I am. Because if someone hates me and they don't know, I mean, like, whatever, I don't care. But what I what I really I think that's a thing from Marcus Aurelius, uh, this philosopher who goes. Well, you don't care about people who don't know you and don't love you because they don't know you. Whatever. Our worst fear is someone who knows us and doesn't love us. Mm. And they know us very, very deeply, and they don't love us. Mm. But I feel Um, like with Christine, it's like there is no enemy to Christine. It's like she just, like, has this goal. Like, she's not, she doesn't do any of this, like, out of malice. Like, she's not trying to tear apart Tick's family or no. anything. Like, I mean, she, she just, like, there's no enemy to Christine. No, it, she's just, like, doing what she needs to do yeah. to get the power she wants, exactly. which is scary because it's, like, no. do you feel? No, I mean, she, she helps Tick's family multiple times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Multiple mm-hmm. times she mm-hmm. came to their rescue, basically. And she was just like, yeah, I'll help you. But you you got to do this for me, though. She, it was always a stipulation to it. Like, I'll help you, but mm, you still got to do this for me. So it, it wasn't, it, again, like you said, Meg, it wasn't like she, it was like she hated them. It was just, she had a job. She, she, I th- it's like she felt that they were, they were beneath her. Oh, yeah. Sense, I, right? I, I, like you, they were ants. You get the, that, that comes from everyone Christine talks to. 
everyone mm-hmm. she came into contact with, she knew, oh, they're just, they're all, you're all beneath me because what I'm about to do is greater than anything you all will ever do. So I'm looking past all of this and I'll do whatever I need to do in order to get to this point. So even, even when she goes to, um, the, the cop that is, um, a part of the order as well, he personally thinks like, oh, she doesn't know anything because mm-hmm. she's a woman, right? She can't mm-hmm. know magic because she's not supposed to. Meanwhile, she probably knew way more than him and she's probably way stronger than him. And she was going to become better than him at the end if her plan went through. So everyone in her life, she saw as, I kind of don't care what you all have to say because I'm, I know for a fact that eventually I'm going to get this power. So I don't, I don't care about anything else. That's so, ah, that's so interesting. Just like the idea of, it's like a mirror. It's like an anti And I just realized her name is Christine for crying out loud. <laughs> like she, she will relate to those who she perceives as beneath her, but it's not for the sake of love. It's for the sake of this bigger purpose that is cons- that consumes everyone else. Yeah. What? <laughs> like, what? There are layers. Okay, hear me out, guys. <laughs> hear me out. Hot take. No, not even a hot take. It's just, w- w- I-, I guess, and, and here's the thing. I-, 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 I teased this earlier in our conversation earlier that we don't have, um, I don't know, like, this thing won't necessarily end per se. This podcast or this series is very similar to the series. It's just going to settle in an interesting place. And this interesting place that I kind of want to settle on is if you were to give a pitch for the sequel, the next 10 episodes, the next arc, what would you say? Because now, now I'm thinking, okay, what, what kind of, because Tick is dead. Well, we think he's dead. I mean, see, in, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's no telling if he actually is dead. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see more of D, and I'd also like to see now that the chain there's a change in power and who holds the power, will it be held differently? You know, like what classic like downfalls of having power will some mm. of the characters like run into, and how will they handle that? I think that's something that'd be really interesting. I think I'm interested in seeing one how D navigates this new knowledge she has, right? Because I'm sure Hippolyta is giving her all these different keys to the universe that she's come across and that she knows. So Dee's transformation from this teenage girl living in the south side of Chicago to where where does she go from here? Because she'd have to become an adult so yeah, fast. Yeah, she, she has mm-hmm, to become mm-hmm. an adult. So her beginning of whatever it is, is something I would want to see. But also I want to see Letty's, Letty's newfound power. Letty has a newfound power in that all of Tick's ancestors have given her the ability to wield this magic. Basically she's, she's has the ability to wield the magic because once she's carrying Tick's child, I, I don't know if we found out it's a boy or a girl, but she has Tick's, offspring right so where does that take her where does that take her in her journey of life does she teach ticks offspring about this new magic that she now knows does she try to keep it away i think in they mentioned that uh you know the magic is something that they want to keep in their family 
but how far are they willing to go with it, right? Where does Tick's son or daughter take that magic? Do they become someone that's trying to now take over the world in a Christine role? Do they have to be destroyed as well, right? So I think I think that would be interesting. I also find it very cool that it goes from, like, the start of the series is, like, not just like white men in power, but the men are like the this the main stakeholders, the main players. To now we get to this end, and the ones that are left and the ones that are alive are Hippolyta, D, Gia, Letty. I keep wanting to call her Journey, uh, Letty, and Monro- Montrose, mm-hmm. um, who's gay. So it's like you know, like it goes from being like these straight white men, straight men in power, to being you know. Yeah. The, 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 my, the, my the margins. Role. It goes to the yeah. margins. We, and we didn't really talk about Montrose, Montrose's character a whole lot, but that's another thing I would like to see because Tick charges him with the, with the role of now being the father Montrose wanted to be, right? Be the father, be mm-hmm. the father mm-hmm. to my mm-hmm. child that you wanted to be. Don't make the same mistake twice. How does, how does mm-hmm. Montrose take on that new power? How does he now live his life seeing this magic, seeing his son be sacrificed, sacrifice himself willingly, pretty much? What does he now do with that? And realizing that his son is the one that saved him all those years ago. That too. You know? That too. Like, sa- like literally saved his life when <laughs> he was a kid. His son is the mysterious stranger. Like, that—that that is... Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think Mont Rose... The power that might give him to, like you know, dive into his own identity. Mm-hmm. Like, cause Montrose is like, he's hiding from so many things. Like he's like hiding behind all these parts of these identity that he's ashamed of, like not being Tick's father, being gay, all this stuff. And like, now he's Oh like, yeah, by the way, he's not Tick's father. <laughs> Uncle George is not actually Uncle George, friends. <laughs> Another twist. He's bad. Another <laughs> twist. Another twist. <laughs> anyway. Continue. So, like, Montrose, like, figuring out his new identity and therefore, like, his new power is really interesting, too. Well, I think it'll be kind of, hopefully, it will go similar with, maybe, I mean, we won't know. I mean, going similar maybe with Hippolyta, right? Like, he could be all these now, and then maybe now Tick has charged him with a specific thing to do. And where where does that also go, too? Like, we yes, we love potential, but now he's charged him. He's, in a sense, given him a vow, like, take care of them. And sometimes we see that even in the in, in the space of a vow, that reorients an entire identity. Yeah, and things are at the service of. And I and yeah. we saw we saw that with Montrose after George tasked him oh, yeah. with taking care of, yeah. of George's family. We see Montrose go to these different places in his head of wishing I took the bullet for his, wishing he took the bullet for George, wishing. He had saved D from the curse and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he he really took that to heart of being someone that took care of the family. And when he couldn't in those moments, it drove him into a, a darker place. But we see again, we see Tick at the end say, Now you have the chance to be something better. You have another purpose in this life that doesn't end with me. Mm-hmm. It now mm-hmm. carries on to mm-hmm. this other piece. And the thing with Montrose is like he, like, all the stuff that he's done that's hurt Tick and other people, it was never, like, out of malice. It was, like, him not being able to identify as part of the family, I think. You know, like, because of all the stuff that he's been through when he was younger, like, being abused, mm-hmm. feeling abandoned, that he never took on the true responsibility, like, fully. 
because he never felt like he was worthy of it until that mm-hmm. moment, until like that at the end of the season, um, realizing, wait, you know, I'm not your dad and you still choose me. Wait, I'm part of the family and realizing how important and valuable he actually is, despite yeah. like his previous thoughts about himself. Which, which, which echoes that, I mean, that, that echoes a huge part of, um, and I think a lot of people who just who might just watch this all the way through and not say, I don't really see much of a Christian thing in here. That is very Christian that God so loved us that even when we were in a place where we didn't feel like we were part of the family, we were acting out, we were doing all these things, God loves us and brings us in. It is that sacrificial love that Tick has that draws all those elements mm-hmm. together. And that's that love that disrupts by being connected through the agency of Gia and connecting to the, the evil in Christine that disrupts the ritual and the power is spread out as far as it can be mm-hmm. spread out in new places. Like, so, you know, the mountains will be made low and the, 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 the crooked places straight and the valleys will be filled up that, I mean, that kind of, you know, there's a lot there, but it can be rough to kind of see without kind of going into it or wanting to go into, you know, and, uh, wow. Wow. I would love to see a, a series where cyborg D teams up with her little I don't know what to call that thing. Uh that 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 monster thing that they summoned for her. And they just go on Oh, you know, don't they figure out that Tick has a son because of the author of the book? Oh, yeah, it, it is a son. Yeah, it is yes. a son. It is. Yes. Son. Well, in some universe it's a son. We don't know if that's so going to be the same. Maybe universe. it'll be maybe it'll just be a continuation. Maybe there's a bigger enemy now in store. Mm-hmm. Like we we raise the stakes a bit and then, you know, Thanos comes and says, like, "Give me the stone." I'm like, what stone? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's a, the book is the stuff. I don't know. There's just so many so many different ways to see. So many there's things. so many things. I, I want to see where Gia's character goes yeah. like because it just felt like it, it, she was kind of after after her episode, it, it was kind of one note with her. It's like, oh, uh, she and then she comes back yeah. in the finale. It's like I want to know if they had anything else. Well, in maybe store maybe there. that finally also frees her from that. That would be the hundredth soul. She's connected to him, and that and now she's finally free. And what does that mean for her? You could have a bunch of spinoff series. You could have this. <sighs> I mean, it could go. And then anywhere. like the conversation she has where. Tick, where she's like, he's like, you're family now. You're part of our family now. Like mm-hmm. that kind of solidifies a relationship and a tie mm-hmm. there. So then, like, how is she going to be part mm-hmm. of that family without Tick? Or with Man. Tick? Yeah, yeah, it can go anywhere. "Quote unquote dead." <laughs> That'd be so interesting, right? With 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 Tick's like Tick's son, like, hey, Auntie Gia, <laughs> some some Korean girl. <laughs> literally can go anywhere. Literally, just... and so. they go to Korea. So HBO, let's hope. Um, and then becomes a K drama uh, <laughs> with, with horror elements. Well, uh, oh, I've um, seen some uh, of those. Pretty good. The, yeah. Uh, well, again, um, not quite sure if this is a tidy ending, but it does end in interesting places. There's just so many possibilities, and we cannot wait, HBO, for what you decide to kind of make into. You know what? What possibility you want to collapse it down onto? Please, however, do not let the showrunners of the last season of Game of oh, Thrones please, have their hands on please, this. No. Please though. No. I don't know how that I, you, they they single handedly made Game of Thrones disappear from the zeitgeist after that last. Honest, episode. Honestly, I wouldn't even be mad if the if the show just ended here and yeah. they just and they just came up with an entirely new storyline premise and all of that. Oh yeah, like episodic something like that. So again, we give this thing a ten out of ten. Would recommend. There is so much to unpack, friends, and so 
go go watch um again it is hbo so there's gonna be a bunch of things that are you just you, you might be like oh okay that's that's a bit much the violence is very violent the sex is it's sex. Very like, sex. You know, so it's very, it's very sex. So I can't believe I would have said such a sentence. Thank you, Urban Picks, for giving me this opportunity. And so um, I think let's let's wrap it up there, uh, friends. Anything that you guys want to promote before, and I'll also promote some of the stuff uh, for Urban Picks. But anything you want to promote coming up? Uh, anything that from your own work that you have? Well, by the time that this episode airs um we would have had already premiered the lenten book club for urban picks i'm not part of that but we have two new people you've heard sean before he was on the purge episode and then there was another one that he was on i think and then we have myra who we have not had on any other episode i know she wanted to be on a uh, disney princess episode she's very much into disney but they're doing a book club on the giver and it's an interactive podcast a limited series um so that's something and then we also by at this point have kicked off our uh raffle um, from our live Mardi Gras session. Mm. Uh, so we have a raffle and we collabed with Catholic Run Supply um, at Catholic Run Supply on Instagram. Uh, and if you enter this raffle, it's like a two week long raffle, you have a chance to win an anorak and a beanie, I believe. Um, mm. Don't quote me on it. Um, things might change <laughs> in the next couple of days. Um, but those are some big things that are going on for Urban Picks during Lent. All right. Uh... I'd like to give our shout out to our major Patreon backers, uh, Lady Ophelius and X3 Cami Cam. Uh, you know them. Uh, we would love for again shout out Patreon. Cam. Please come. Yeah, shout out Cam uh, and and Venus. Uh, so let's let's please. You know we have a Patreon out there. Feel free to give us some. Uh, well, we would we would love to have some kind of monetary. No, you know what? I'll stop. I won't chill like that. <laughs> forgive forgive me. Uh, check out. It's our, mostly our... to help us run content. Go yeah, support. Yeah. So Just... like we pay for everything out of pocket. This uh, isn't yeah, like we're yeah. not trying to make this. Our, honestly, all of us have full time jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, honestly, y'all. Um, as someone that is is a truly a fan of Urban Picks and all of, all that y'all do. This stuff isn't easy. So, if you can support, go support. I, I know I definitely support what I can and do what I can to to help Urban Picks and uh, you know just make sure I spread all the stuff that they're doing. But if you can support monetarily, do it because they're doing this for you. They're doing it so that um, you know you all have some entertainment, but you still have a faith-filled uh you know sentiment to it right it's not something mm-hmm. that isn't not rooted in faith it's something rooted in faith it's something rooted in um people understanding how different things work together so uh if you can't support go support that's all i gotta say all right we also want to shout out to uh fab and fed yes thank you kyle uh i, I do appreciate that that is this is from someone who is not necessarily part of Urban Picks, so this is it's not as if we paid him to say that. So, so please, we don't pay that, <laughs> In light, in light no. of that, please pay us to tell you these things. <laughs> and uh, also, finally, again, please check out Famine Fed. Uh, they're continuing with, I believe, um, an episode coming up very soon. And um, yeah, so the, also new merch coming out. New, we new have merch. All we right. have T-shirts and Woo. beanies and patches. Woo. Yeah, very good. Very good. Check that out. Uh, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, I'm Ian. I'm Meg. I'm Kyle. And this has been Truly Universal. Thank you. Truly Universal is a production of Urban Picks. All things to all. 
theme song by Demi Guevara, audio production by Ethan Ko, and outro song by Chris Kabilis. You can find all of our content on our website, www.urbanpix.com slash trulyuniversal. Please like and subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to contact us, send us an email at trulyuniversal at urbanpix.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.